0: The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Good morning, good morning. It's uh, good to be here today. Uh, Little little, uh, nippy outside, uh, which is good, I guess, for November. Um, we're glad that you're here today. Hey, there are a lot of things happening uh, in the life of our church uh, this month and leading in uh, to December. And uh, one thing I do want to highlight, first of all, this morning, uh, inside your bulletin is our little red uh, letter uh, from me, if you'll go ahead and take that out. And uh, you should have gotten one of these in the mail, or you should have gotten an email about this. We're trying to get the word out to everybody. Uh, this is our, uh, our annual Christmas offering letter. And uh, this is, as you can see, this is the sixth time that we've done this, and uh, I cannot say enough positive things about the impact of our Christmas offering every year. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, what we have been able to accomplish as a church uh, because of your generous uh, giving. And uh, I, I know this year is gonna be no different. Uh, the last two years, we've had our goal uh, to be $50,000 above and beyond your regular giving. Uh, people can begin, begin giving now, uh, November the 12th, through, I think it's like the second Sunday uh, after, Jan, uh, after the new year, January 14th. Uh, so it's nine weeks. And uh, it, it's like a little mini giving campaign. Uh, but over the years here at Coastal, we have used that uh, offer and I explained that there in the letter, uh, to really do some awesome things. Uh, We've helped uh, remodel a home uh, for a family on Wadmalaw. We've re-roofed our entire facility. Uh, We bought T-shirts for uh, all the students over at Oakland Elementary School. Uh, I mean, I could keep going, and and the list is long there. Um, It's it's helped our students, our children. Uh, We bought, uh, we paid for a well in Haiti. Uh, Lots of exciting things. And uh, it it enables all the things that you hear happening uh, here, coastal, you know, happen as a result of your generosity. I mean, just point blank, that's the way it works. And uh, so our Christmas offering every year, we set that aside to do some uh, kind of above and beyond uh, kind of things. Uh, one thing that it typically goes to, and it'll be no different this year, uh, are our children and our students. Uh, we have a phenomenal Vacation Bible School here every year, and if you've been a part of it, you know what what it's like, and you might wonder, how, does, how do we pull that off? Well, it happens from your Christmas offering. Um, our students go to camp uh, every year, and we help pay for the buses, the lodging. Uh, we actually pay down the expense of camp, and that happens through Um, your Christmas offering, and all the things that our students get to enjoy throughout the year uh, through your generous giving. Uh, This year, a couple of other things are going to happen. You know, well, we we built this new facility, and it's been awesome, and we are greatly appreciative of it, uh, but we have an old facility we got to take care of, and that's our Coastal Kids building. And uh, so some of our Christmas offering this year is going to go towards some uh, modifications over there. Um, And then this summer, uh, I'm really excited about this. Um, we are going to uh, do what we're going to call Summer of Impact. And uh, over the summer, we're going to organize uh, a lot of different uh, outreach and uh, service opportunities here in Charleston where we are going to serve our community uh, over the summer. And uh, your Christmas offering is going to help go uh, to fund that. And so I just, uh, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you, uh, pray about what you and your family can give. Uh, We've done this, again, this is our sixth offering. Uh, We've done a couple of giving campaigns that paid for this. What we've learned over the years is this, that God shows up and does a miracle when we step out in faith and we trust Him. And we all can't give the same amount, but we all can sacrifice together. And it's really cool that when the entire church sacrifices, you know, giving different amounts, because we're all, you know, we can't all give the same thing, but when we all pray about it and we all give, God shows up in a miraculous way and does something amazing. We've definitely learned that uh, this past week about um, Operation Christmas Child. And uh, so I believe that we're going to learn that as well with our Christmas offering. Our goal is big. It's bigger than what it's been before. Uh, It's $60,000. But I'm believing in faith that together uh, we're going to accomplish it. And God's going to keep doing amazing things through our church and through uh, your giving. So pray about that. You can start giving today uh, through January 14th. Our entire offering at our two Christmas Eve services will go toward our Christmas offering. A lot of times, sometimes uh, people will uh, kind of uh, wait and give then. Uh, but you pray about it, you decide what you and your family can do, and um, I'm excited uh, how God's going to use that money to make a huge impact uh, in our church, uh, in, our in, in our world, in our community, and uh, all over the world. So anyway, if you have any questions about that, please feel free to come and talk to me about it, talk to any of our staff, um, it's going to be amazing. Um, today, we arrive at the very last message Uh, ...in our series on the life of David. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the series as much as I have. And again, we have really just hit some of the highlights of David. We could probably spend an entire year going through uh, his life and his story. Um, But today, I want to begin by reminding ourselves... ...that the measuring rod that God uses when He measures a life... ...is very different than the one that we typically use. And to do that, I want us to go back to where we started... ...where we began this series... And uh, you'll remember that when we first began this series, we were introduced to David in 1 Samuel chapter 16, when the prophet Samuel was told to go to Bethlehem in order to anoint a new king for Israel. Now, prior to this, the only king that Israel had known was a guy by the name of Saul. And uh, Saul looked like what you would expect a king to look like. He was tall. He was powerful. In fact, the Bible says that he stood head and shoulders above everybody else, kind of like a, the giant of Israel, which, which makes it even more ironic when he refuses to fight the giant of the Philistines, Goliath, just a couple of chapters later. Well, when God t- tells Samuel to anoint another king, Samuel just expects that it's gonna be somebody just like Saul. You know, another impressive, imposing kind of figure. And so 1 Samuel 16:1 says this. I am sending you to Jesse. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, I think it's significant there that God doesn't say, I have chosen the new king to be named David. He, he deliberately, you know, leaves it a mystery in order to drive home a point. A very specific point that we see as the story unfolds. Now, as soon as Samuel arrives at Jesse's house, he sees the very first son, Eliab, and he thinks to himself, wow, this has got to be the one. I mean, he, he looks the part, in fact, he says, surely the Lord's anointed stands before me, and uh, this has got to be the one. But God says, sorry, not him, Okay? And so Samuel moves on to the next one. And it says this in 1 Samuel 16:8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, "The Lord has not chosen this one either." And so God says, "Not him." And so Samuel looks at the next one and the next one and the next one. And this repro- this process, this whole thing is repeated over and over and over again for for seven of Jesse's sons. And finally, you know, exasperated Uh, Samuel asked Jesse, hey, are these all the sons that you have? And and again, we talked about this when we began the series. Almost like an afterthought. Jesse says, well, you know, they're still the youngest, but he's out in the fields taking care of, you know, the sheep. So we know from Scripture that, that Jesse had eight sons and two daughters. And David was the last one born. And at the outset... You know, when Samuel first arrives, he asked Jesse to bring all the sons. And Jesse does, except for David. And the reason Jesse didn't even bring David, didn't even include him, was that he knew in his mind, man, there is no way that David's going to be the one that God is going to choose. I mean, he's the smallest, he's the youngest, he's the runt. And yet he was. He was the one that God had in mind. And and within the story, we're given the reason why. And it it definitely has served as the, the theme verse for this series. 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Which begs the question, you know, if that's true, if God looks at the heart, then what kind of heart is he looking for in us? And that's what this series has been all about, after God's heart. And and it's the question that I want us to look at this morning as we wrap this whole series up. But before we do, I want us to reflect just for a moment on that statement here in verse 7. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Let, Let me ask you a question. Do you think that's still true today? I mean, let's, let's uh, take that statement apart a little bit. You know, when it comes to the second part of the statement, the Lord looks at the heart. Well, I think we're pretty safe in, in saying that, okay, that part pretty much hasn't changed. I mean, in fact, the Bible says that, you know, God is faithful, He is unchanging. In fact, it says in the Bible that He is the same yesterday, today. And forever, and so, in other words, well, if that was God's priority like 3,000 years ago, then Pastor Chris, I'm pretty sure we're safe in assuming that that's still his priority today. But what about the first part of the statement? Man looks at the outward appearance. You know, in the 3,000 years since those words were written, do you think that we've become a society that is more concerned with what's on the outside or on the inside? In other words, have we changed? Have we evolved as a society? Well, let's make it personal. You know, let's not talk about, because churches sometimes are good at that, right? Let's not talk about the culture or the world out there. Let's talk about you and me. You know, when it comes to you, are you more concerned about what's on you're outside or on the inside. Now, standing up here this morning, I can tell that you are a good-looking group of people. I mean, you are. You're good-looking, except for a couple of exceptions. (laughs) Okay? But, overall, you're a good-looking group. Now, I, I assume that it took you a little prep time to get to this state that you find yourself in today. I mean, you know, it took a little bit of effort at home before you came here to get the way that you are. Now, the question I have for you is, as you compare these two things, again, your outward appearance and what's on the inside, the question is, how much time do we really spend worrying and thinking and, you know, planning about how we look on the inside to God? How much time do we really spend on, you know, the spiritual disciplines of the heart, like, you know, Bible study and prayer and meditation and scripture memory and all those things compared to the time that we spend, literally the time that we spend putting on our makeup Combing our hair. Okay, well, not me. Anyway, combing our hair, you know, picking out our clothes, laying it out, taking a shower, going to the gym, working out. Now, don't miss my point. I don't think there's anything wrong with any of those things. In fact, I'm glad that you took a shower this morning. You know, I'm glad you put on deodorant, all those things. You know, I'm, I'm glad that you, you know, many of you take care of your bodies. You know, the Bible says, in fact, that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit and we ought to take care of them. It's good stewardship. But all I'm asking is do we pay the same amount of attention, attention and time to our inner development, our heart, our soul? You know, do we have routines and habits and disciplines in place to develop our heart? By the way, if you want a practical step you could take this week, pray something like this each day, God, help me to spend more time each day focusing on what I look like on the inside for you than what I look like on the outside. In fact, one of my favorite verses is 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. It says this, Spend your time and energy in training yourself for spiritual fitness. Physical exercise has some value. In other words, he said, hey, that is important. It's necessary. It's good. He's not saying there's anything wrong with that. But spiritual exercise, your heart how you look on the inside. He says it's way more important for it promises a reward both now, in this life, it's good for you here and now, and in the next. So, what does God look for in us? I want to talk about five things that we've seen in the heart of David that God wants to see in our heart. The very first thing we see, the letter H, is he had a humble heart. He had a humble heart. God loves to use the unlikely. You know, we we see that. uh, We saw that when God sent Samuel to anoint, you know, one of Jesse's sons to be the new king, and he chose the son so unlikely that his dad didn't even consider him for the job. Why does God do that over and over again? Why does God like to use the unlikely? Well, the reason is, is that when God uses nobodies, it's God who gets all the credit. Now, what's that mean for you and me today? Well, what that means is you might not feel like you're the sharpest tool in the tool shed. You might feel like you're not the brightest crayon in the Crayola box. I can keep going, right? Okay, but you don't have to be any of those things. That's the good news. You don't need to be because the truth is, the more unlikely you, you feel, the more unlikely you seem to the world, to yourself because of your past, listen, the bigger candidate you are for God to use in an amazing way. First Samuel 18, 14 says that everything he did, he had great success because he was so naturally gifted. It doesn't say that, does it? Why? Because the Lord was with him. You know, God could trust David with success because David gave God all the glory. Now, did he, do, did he always do that perfectly? Nope. In fact, if you were here with us last week, you'll remember that one of the biggest mistakes that David made had to do with the time that he put his faith in the things that he could see and touch and count instead of trusting God. But overall, the characteristic of his life was that he was a humble man and he had a humble heart. The letter E, it stands for expectant. David had an expectant heart. Uh, David knew God's promises, he believed them, and he expected God to fulfill them. Psalm 37, 4 and 5, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. You know, it's interesting about that verse. We like to memorize the first part of that. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And we leave out the second part. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he'll do this. An expectant heart. And you you see that at the very beginning of David's life when he was a teenager before King Saul, you know, volunteering to go out into the battle to fight Goliath. You know, the king asked him why in the world he thought that he could go out and defeat the giant when nobody else was even willing to give it a try. And David said in 1 Samuel 17, 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, what will will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He didn't say God might do it, God could do it. He said, no, God's going to do it. He was expecting it. Uh, The great missionary William Carey once put it this way, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. I think that's great advice because I think the reason we so often don't see God working in great ways in our lives is, quite frankly, we don't expect him to. Let Let me ask you a little application question today. What are you expecting God to do in your life that only he can do? I mean, is there anything you're asking him for? Because if you're not seeing God at work in your life, part of the problem might be you're not expecting him to do anything in your life. And I think that's a great reminder for us as a church. You know, what are we expecting God to do, you know, through us in a mighty way that only he can do? You see what happens when you expect great things from him, you put yourself in a place where you become available for God to do great things through you. You put yourself in the arena where you could actually see him doing miracles through you. You know, that was the uh, uh, that, that's the great example this year of Operation Christmas Child. I mean, I'll be honest with you, there were times when I think thinking, Okay, Scott, why'd you say 500 from the stage? I thought we were those just kind of an internal thing. He said, well, Teresa told me, we'll blame her. So all week long, we've been, well, you know, it's Teresa's fault. And you know what? Every time we kept talking to Teresa, you know what she said? Fishes and loaves, fishes and loaves. God can do it. You know, make no mistake. Now, I'm not saying it's your expectations that cause God to work in your life. This isn't name it, claim it. God's not a puppet. And we're, you know, we, we manipulate him. But. You know, God does it in his will, in his time, and in his way. But if we don't expect him to do something great, we never, we're never going to put ourselves in a position for him to do it. And that's how, that's how David was. David expected to see God move in his life, and God did. So what are you expecting to see God do? What are we as a church expecting him to do? I think sometimes people don't expect God to do great things in their life because they don't want to be disappointed. Kind of like, well, you know, if I ask God for something great, and I lay it on the line, and I step out in faith, and then he doesn't come through, then I'll be disappointed in God and I don't want that to happen. Well, first of all, don't worry. I promise God's not going to be crushed by your disappointment, okay? He can handle it. But I think God is honored when we just increase our expectations to a little bit more accurately reflect the size of the God that we are praying to in the first place. A humble heart, an expectant heart. And then the letter A is an authentic heart, an authentic heart. David understood that as God looks at us, his primary concern is not with how religious we look on the outside. But rather, it's that genuineness, that that part of us that's hidden, that nobody else can see but him. He he understood that there is one thing that is grievously offensive to God, and that's hypocrisy. You know, fast forward uh, to the New Testament, and you study the life of Jesus, One thing you'll notice, and it's very interesting, Jesus was extremely kind and gracious to those people who were outside the kingdom of God. He had deep compassion for those men and women who were still in bondage to sin. Which, by the way, that ought to serve as a lesson to you and I. Into the church today. But where we do find harsh, harsh words and condemnation coming from the mouth of Jesus is when he comes into contact with religious hypocrites. I mean, one time he called them whitewashed tombs. He basically said, You look good and pretty on the outside, but on the inside, you are rotten. You stink. You're full of rotting flesh. And that's why over and over and over again, David asked God to search him, to examine his heart, to bring to mind anything, uh, any sin, any, any inconsistency in, in his life. In fact, this next verse, Psalm 139, 23 and 24, uh, this is our memory verse today. And uh, we did this a couple of weeks ago. We used to do this a lot. Um, but inside your bulletin, do me a favor, everybody take out your connect card. On the back of your Connect card, on the very bottom of the next step today on the back, it says, I will memorize Psalm 139, 23 through 24. And we did this a couple of weeks ago uh, with a verse, and we're going to do it again this week. In fact, uh, when we did it then, we had like almost 150 people, I think, sign up on their Connect card to memorize uh, a passage. And so uh, we'll send you a little text message. Uh, We'll send one at the beginning of the week and at the end of the week. And just the verse, just to remind you, if you've forgotten, you'll at least see it at And then uh, during the middle of the week, we'll send you a little uh, little email, a little article, a little something about the verse or about Scripture memory, just something to help you along a little bit. But it's Psalm 139, 23 through 24. This is a great passage to, to memorize, to commit to memory. Listen to this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. And that was, that was David. It was about authenticity. Now again, was David perfect in living out the commands of God? Absolutely not. But the thing about David is that when he did blow it, when he, you know, when he did sin, he, it, it, what's, what's important is what he did when he, when he committed those sins. And that leads us really to the next characteristic of David's heart, the letter R, he had a repentant heart. And you see this most clearly in the way David responded over and over again when he blew it. And he did. I mean, you know, he, he, he didn't hide it. He didn't deny it. He didn't make excuses for it. In fact, as a little aside note here, um, to me, this is one of the greatest proofs of the authenticity of the Bible. And it's just how painfully honest it is about the failings of, of the main characters. You don't see that in other, you know, religious books of, of other religions. You, you, you never see that. Okay, it's just not there. And yet in the Bible, we, you know, sure, David was a king, he was a poet, he was a great leader, but he was also a liar, a betrayer, an adulterer, a murderer. And the Bible shares all that: successes and failures. And the encouragement we get from the example of David, from the life of David, is that you don't have to be perfect to have a heart for God. You know, in the Bible, a lot of people are called a man of God or a woman of God, but the only person called a man after God's heart is David. He was a great sinner, but he was also a great repenter. Listen, it's repentance, repentance that, that keeps failure from becoming fatal. If you're a follower of Jesus. Because it is repentance that actually activates the mercy of God. And I I want to talk about repentance for a second. You know, and, and it's interesting that King Saul, by the way, didn't do anything from a, at least from a human standpoint, as serious as David did, you know, when he was the king. I mean, from what we know, King Saul never committed adultery, never murdered anybody, and yet God rejected him and his kingship was taken away. David, on the other hand, committed adultery, committed murder, and yet he he remained the king. How do you explain that? One simple reason. David repented of his sin, and Saul never did. So what is repentance? What, what truly is it? Because sometimes we hear it, we think it's you know, just some old foreign term, repent, you know, and we kind of shy away from it. No, it's a good biblical term. Okay, It begins with a broken heart, a contrite heart, a, a, a true you know, being sorry for, for what you've done. But it doesn't stop there. That's not all repentance is. It's also accepting responsibility for what you've done. We've talked a lot about that in this series. You know, no blaming, no excuses, and it's a willingness to own up to whatever the consequences are. But here's the key finally, true biblical repentance always results in genuine life change you know it's as simple as you know repentance means you know at some point you're heading in one direction and you realize you're heading in the wrong direction and you're you feel bad that you're heading in the wrong direction and you take consequences for what that's meant in your life but eventually you're willing to turn around and head in the right direction that's repentance in fact in Matthew chapter 3 as a result of preaching Uh, in in the wilderness. John the Baptist. uh, A lot of people were turning to God. A lot of people were coming back to God. So they wanted to know, you know, what do we need to do, John? And John basically said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, he was saying, okay, change your behavior. You know, prove by the way you live that you really have turned to God. Now, again, this is not about earning God's approval or trying to be a better person so that God might love you. No, 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 no. God loves you. You have been approved by him if you've accepted Christ into your life by faith. But now prove it. Prove that you are by a genuine life change. Listen, true repentance produces a change of heart that always produces a change in behavior. And if that hasn't happened, let me tell you something. Chances are you've never truly repented. Now, again, as a follower of Jesus, man, we're going to make some mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. Some of the mistakes we're going to make are going to be pretty bad. But repentance is what keeps failure from becoming fatal. And that was David. That's why he had a man, had a heart after God, because he had a repentant heart. He trusted God and he trusted God's willingness to forgive him. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will never despise. And that leads us to the last thing that God is looking for in us the letter T, a trusting heart. And you particularly see this in David's response in times of great stress. I mean, man, there are were, there were very few people in the Bible who endured as much stress as David did. He was at constant war with the neighboring nations. You know, we know he fought giants. He was on the run from Saul for years, hiding in caves. His family was a complete mess. We didn't spend a lot of time on this, and this could have been multiple, multiple sermons. He had one son rape his sister, his daughter, David's daughter. He had another son, kill that son, and then he had another son who rebelled against him and overthrew his throne for a time, and then that son was killed. Lots of tragedy, lots of stress, and yet through it all, David just kept trusting in God. Psalm 73, 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Man, that was real for that man. And David was a man after God's heart. He he was also a sinner like you and me, but he was a man who believed that it was never too late. And you're never too far gone that you can't truly repent and come home to God. And after any one of his failures, any one of his mistakes, and he could have blamed his family, his circumstances, after any of it, he could have thrown in the towel and quit. But he never did. You know, sometimes I think we make the mistake of thinking that the difference between, you know, the righteous and the unrighteous is that, well, the righteous must never fall. Man, nothing could be further from the truth. Proverbs 24, 16 says, for though a righteous man falls seven times, and by the way, in, in the Bible, seven is like kind of like the number for like infinity and, and like you know, just you know, it just it means like, okay, not just seven times, you fall a lot. For though the righteous man keeps falling, is what he's saying, he rises again. He rises again. Everybody falls. Falling doesn't make you a failure staying down does. I want to close this morning by telling you two stories and uh, from, uh, from a long time ago, but I want, to, I want to tell these two stories and I want to see if you can spot the connection between them. Story number one. Uh, Butch O'Hare was a World War II hero. He was a fighter pilot and uh, he was assigned to an aircraft carrier in the South Pacific. And uh, one day his entire squadron was sent on a mission. And uh, after he was in his plane uh, up in the air, Uh, Butch realized that somebody had forgotten to top off his fuel tank and he knew that he wasn't going to have enough uh, gas to complete the mission. So he radioed his squadron leader and uh, he told him to return back to the carrier. So all alone, as he uh, headed back to the ship, he spotted something that made his blood run cold. It was a squadron of Japanese Zeros preparing to attack the now defenseless American fleet. So Butch all alone flew into the formation of these Japanese planes and uh, he weaved in and out of formation firing at as many planes as he could until all of his ammunition was completely gone and then with all of his ammo gone he literally just used his plane to dive into the planes and in hopes of damaging just as many of them as he could. What happened was that Evidently, the exasperated and frustrated Japanese squadron leader decides to take everybody off into another direction with the few remaining planes that he had. Uh, Butch O'Hare and his tattered fighter limp back to the aircraft carrier, and the film from the camera mounted on his plane documented the whole thing. And Butch O'Hare now becomes a decorated hero. He is awarded the Medal of Honor. And uh, if if you're not aware of this, today, O'Hare Airport in Chicago uh, is named after him. Story number two. Some years earlier, there was a man in Chicago by the name of Easy Eddie. Uh, At the time, Al Capone, uh, the famous mobster, virtually ran the city and everything illegal in the city. And uh, Easy Eddie was actually his attorney. Uh, And he was good at what he did. Uh, In fact, because of Eddie's legal skill and maneuvering, he kept Al Capone and most of the mob out of the jail for a long, long time. Uh, Eddie lived the high life right alongside the mob, uh, gave little consideration to all the evil done by Capone and his cohorts, Uh, but he did have one soft spot, and uh, that was a little boy that he loved dearly. And uh, he saw to it that his son uh, lacked nothing, uh, cars, clothes, good education. And despite his involvement with organized crime, Eddie even tried to teach him right from wrong. He wanted him to become a better man than he was. And one day, though, Eddie reached a very difficult decision. uh, He wanted to clean up his tarnished name and offer his son a model of integrity. To do that, he would have to testify against the mob. And he knew that the cost would be great. But more than anything, he wanted to be an example to his son of what it meant really to do the right thing. And so he did testify. And in less than a year, he was gunned down on the streets of Chicago. But he succeeded in giving his son the greatest gift he had to offer at the greatest price that he could possibly pay. Now you might be thinking, what do those two stories have to do with each other? Just this. Butch O'Hare was Eddie's son. And I, I, I use that as an illustration just to say and to remind us you know what, it's never too late to turn back. It's never too late to do the right thing. You know, you, could, you might have walked into these doors today thinking about your past and your circumstances, and, you know, there's not a lot you can do about your past. But I do know this, with God's help, putting your faith and your trust in him, man, you can still have an amazing future. And you can leave a legacy behind you. And and you can change the trajectory of generations to come because you're willing finally just to own up to, you know, who you really are. And that's what you see in David over and over and over again. I think that's really the thing that makes him a man after God's heart. And I think that's what God's looking for in us today. He's looking for authenticity. He's looking for repentance. He's looking for people who just humble themselves, expecting God to, to do great things and put their trust in Him. And I'm telling you that if you'll do that, I don't care what your past is. God doesn't care what your past is. We don't. But if you'll just lay it all on the line to him, he will take it, he will put it all back together, and he will make something beautiful out of it. And the way that he does it is through his son Jesus. That's it. You know, it's not about religion. It's not about you being a better person and cleaning up yourself. Listen, this is not some, you know, little self-help gathering that we have here. You don't need to become the best you. You need to become a brand new you. And that only happens through Christ. We are made alive. We are made brand new in Him. And then when you do that, listen, Jesus paid the price. That's what the cross was all about. That's what happened at Calvary. God said, listen, I love these people so much that I am willing to take it on. I am willing to sacrifice my one and only Son. He'll live the perfect life. He'll go to the cross. He'll pay the penalty of sin. And then if and then, if you will just humble yourself and admit the obvious, admit what you already know, that you are a sinner, that you have blown it. And then if you will just put your trust and your faith in his son, Jesus. I mean, you know, John three sixteen, the most famous verse of all, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That's for you, that's for me. And you can have that today. I'd love to step you through that in a prayer. And Coastal, I want to pray for us today too, that we become more and more concerned with how we look on the inside, and what God sees, than the way we look on the outside. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life of David. I thank you that we've taken the time to, over these last several weeks to look at his life and to look at the impact that it can have for us today. God, I pray that we would truly have a heart for you and that we would be much, much more concerned about what's on the inside and what you see and what you know than what everybody else can see and what they think. And Father, I believe that you have drawn people to yourself here today, and there are people in this room are ready to come home, who are ready to repent, to turn around, to admit their sin, to to be sorry for what they've done, but more than that, to move forward, to own up to it, but then just to lay it at your feet and to ask you for your forgiveness, to be made brand new through their faith in your son, your one and only son, Jesus. And listen, if that's you today, just do exactly that. Just pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I want to come home. I admit it. I have blown it. I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. I know it. Today, God, I lay all of that at the feet of Jesus at the cross. I believe. I believe that Jesus died on that cross for me. He paid the penalty of my sin. But God, as much as I understand, as much as I know, I also believe today that death could not contain him, that he defeated sin, death, and the grave. He rose from the dead and he is alive. And I put my faith and my trust in him and him alone. And now, God, for the rest of my days, I just want to become more and more like you see me. I just want to live a life of... Gratitude and worship and thanksgiving for saving somebody like me. Father, I ask your son Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.